If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We're bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. Today is Thursday, May 28, 2020. The pandemic grinds on despite many states trying to open up and resume some sense of normalcy and perhaps spark the crippled economy. New numbers released today show that since the pandemic struck, one in four working-age Americans have filed unemployment claims. That is 40 million people. Economists believe the number of those out of work is actually higher because many are ineligible for unemployment. Breaking with tradition, the Trump administration said it will not release a mid-year update to its economic forecast this summer. This will keep the public from finding out what the White House believes the near future holds for economic activity and unemployment. Meanwhile, Congress was busy today, with the House voting to give more leeway to those taking small business loans. The House is also trying to figure out what it means to vote by proxy. That and health policy will be in our podcast tonight. We turn first to Jim Saxa, who covers the Paycheck Protection Program for CQ Roll Call. It wasn't even close. 417 representatives voted to make the Paycheck Protection Program more flexible today. Only one voted no. That lopsided result reflects both the program's feats and its failures. The White House credits the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP, with saving tens of millions of jobs. But the program's rules say companies have to spend the money they get in just eight weeks. That made sense when everyone thought the shutdowns would be short-lived. But a couple of months later, much of the country remains closed for business. The program has been a lifeline for small businesses battered by the coronavirus. The Small Business Administration has approved over $500 billion in forgivable loans to help companies pay their workers in rent while health concerns keep their customers away. Today, the House passed a bill tripling the time period from 8 weeks to 24. The bill would also loosen an administrative rule that required small businesses to spend 75% of their PPP funds on payroll. If it's enacted, the requirement dropped to 60%. The action now turns to the Senate. It comes back to D.C. next week after taking this week off for Memorial Day. Before the break, the Senate tried to pass its own quick fix through unanimous consent. But at least one senator had issues with that proposal, so the vote didn't happen. The Senate bill's extension would be shorter, just 16 weeks instead of 24. The lawmakers pushing for more time say some of their colleagues are worried that a really long period will let companies game the system. That is, they'll stretch the money out by reopening more slowly and, in the process, employ fewer workers. But one co-sponsor of the House bill, Republican Chip Roy of Texas, thinks that's baloney. Find me a business that right now is sitting there saying, you know what, I want to sit back and take this average loan of $125,000 and I'm going to just, um, I don't know, kind of hang out here and uh, you know, not hire anybody. Show me that business. Yeah. Find one. I don't know one. Roy wants the Senate to move fast, and it seems likely that it will, at least by Senate standards. But it's still unclear whether the upper chamber will take up the House bill or their own. 
If the Senate goes its own way, though, it'll mean more waiting. The House will be out next week. Now CQ Roll Call's Catherine Tully-McManus dives into how proxy voting is and is not working for House lawmakers. After months of talk and controversy, proxy voting is officially a reality in the House of Representatives. For the first time in history, House lawmakers cast proxy votes on behalf of their colleagues who were not present for the proceedings on Wednesday night. The first proxy votes were cast on legislation targeting human rights violations against Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities in China. Dozens of House Democrats queued up in the aisle with masks and standing at a safe distance, waiting their turn to use the microphone to announce the vote positions of their absent colleagues. Virginia's Don Beyer and Maryland's Jamie Raskin cast the most votes on behalf of their colleagues with six proxies each. After the vote, I talked to Raskin about the weight of responsibility he felt holding votes and having his colleagues trust. You, you feel the pressure because you're like a letter carrier, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you've got to get there regardless of whatever else is right. going on. The landmark move to use proxy voting was implemented in response to the coronavirus pandemic to accommodate members who couldn't travel, but it has also further divided the House chamber along partisan lines. No Republicans used the proxy voting system on Wednesday. That was predictable after Republican leader Kevin McCarthy sued House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to block the proxy voting system, calling it unconstitutional. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has suggested that his chamber may not take up legislation passed by the House under the temporary proxy privileges, citing constitutional questions of his own. CQ Roll Call's Sandia Raman investigates a disturbing new trend since the pandemic began. Opioid deaths are on the rise. Drug overdoses are rising in some counties less than a year after the Trump administration touted decreases in the national overdose epidemic. Many regions have reported spikes in fatal and non-fatal overdoses during the pandemic. And this comes after Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data released in January found that the overdose death rate fell by 4.6% in 2018. A report tracking nationwide overdose data released this month using Overdose Data Mapping Application Program, or ODMAP, surveillance information found that overdoses are up 16.6% this year compared to the same time period last year. ODMAP, which is funded by the Office of National Drug Control Policy, said it's early to draw any sweeping conclusions, but local reports are telling a similar story. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, has already reported an increase in drug-related deaths and has essentially hit the same number of cases it had in all of last year. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam has reported that Roanoke County dispatchers have responded to twice as many fatal overdoses this year than in all of last year. And Memphis, Tennessee, has also seen an increase in both fatal and non-fatal overdoses. Franklin County, Ohio, which includes Columbus, has also reported 50% more deaths in the first four months of the year compared to the same time last year. Experts are watching this data closely to see what the long-term effects could be. Finally, Mary Ellen McIntyre of CQ Roll Call gives us the latest health policy news. Hi, this is Mary Ellen McIntyre, healthcare reporter with CQ Roll Call. The U.S. this week passed the grim number of 100,000 coronavirus deaths. President Donald Trump tweeted this morning about the milestone and said it was very sad and extended his sympathies to the loved ones of those who have died from the virus. 
Still, experts say it's not clear what happens next, as states are lifting social distancing restrictions and what will happen as people begin leaving their houses more regularly. That uncertainty also extends to health insurance companies. Health plans in a handful of states have filed their initial premium requests for next year, but it's not clear yet what effects the pandemic could have on what people will pay for health insurance in 2021. Those premiums will likely change from these initial proposals when people sign up for a plan on the exchanges set up under the 2010 healthcare law, known as the Affordable Care Act, in the fall. Insurance plans are covering testing and treatment for the virus and will cover the costs of a vaccine if and when one is available. That could be as soon as later this year or next, though it's not yet known what those costs will be. But patients have also deferred medical care over the last two and a half months, and it's not clear how much longer that may extend. Patients delaying routine care would affect how much health insurers have had to pay out in recent months. Another factor that could change is how quickly people who have become unemployed in the last 10 weeks return to their jobs, and some to their job-based health insurance. If unemployment remains high, that could mean a larger pool of people buying their plans through the exchange. The bottom line is it could take more time for the effects of this pandemic to be evident in health insurance premiums. That's our CQ on Congress coronavirus special report for today. I'm Jason Dick for all of us in the CQ Roll Call Newsroom.